This is The Other 14 Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 14 of The Other 14 Podcast. The only podcast that forgets all about the so-called Big Six and focuses just on the other 14 teams of the Premier League. Unai Emery had a home start that he would have wanted to on his Villa Park debut. Bournemouth, yet again, let another lead slip and Southampton have made a big change. This week, as always, I am joined by Tom. Hello. Hello. Tom, um, with the World Cup almost upon us, and players have been dropping like flies with injuries that could put them out of the tournament. Should we really be having one more game week before the World Cup, or should we just stop it all now? I mean, as much as I'm trying to get into World Cup fever, I do want the Premier League to go on for as long as possible. But I, you know, Gareth was at the um, Southampton Newcastle game at the weekend, and with Trippier having a minor injury scare and Callum Wilson going off at half time you could just sense that he was just on the edge of his seat, not because of what the game was like, but just purely because he was just having absolute nightmares about what his side, what his side could potentially be in the, uh, in the next week or so. So um, I think we're just, I think we're just ready now for it just to call quits, but one more week to go. I know one more week, but it's two games for most teams as, the, as we've got have, league cup as well. We've got league cup midweek. A lot of players are going to be playing with surely in the back of their mind going, oh, I don't really want to go fully in on this challenge or I may may not make that bursting run because I don't want to get injured so close to the tournament. No, and the manager will be thinking that as well. It's like, as much as you do want to win games, you, you're sort of feeling for the protection of your players, especially those who are right in line for a World Cup spot. Exactly. And could you imagine? Well, we will have it, no doubt, that in the next week or so, we'll have a player who does get injured. Yeah, I reckon the there'll matches. be one big injury that will shock us all. Exactly. And for me, what normally, Summer World Cup, they'd have about three weeks before the end of the season and the start of the tournament. Yep. It's going to be one week, pretty much. So we've got final game week next week, which ends on the Sunday, which is the Sunday, the... It's the half four kickoff. Um, yeah, Sunday the 13th. Fully and then it's then on the 18th, I believe, where the first game is. Admittedly, it's Qatar versus, I can't remember who, so I don't think there'll be many Premier League players in that game. But then England get, England's first game is only on the following Monday, I think. The it's a very quick turnaround. So it's unbelievable how quick these players are going to be playing from Premier League yeah. football straight into meant to be in tournament World Cup mode. As far as I'm aware, no, no warm-up games, correct? Yeah, I don't believe there's any. Well, there's not time for any warm-up games. That's why Stupid. the last. That's why the last international break was so important for players to uh, prove to Southgate and their other national managers uh, why they deserve a space in World Cup squads. But it's so close to the tournament, and we're just playing so close up to it. And I know that the fixtures need to go somewhere, but it's a bit mad to me that it's all being crammed yeah. so you- tightly. You're sort of like that nervous mum at the uh, watching her kid play uh, football at the park on a Saturday, just sort of like, just like wincing every time they're going for a tackle. Oh, 100%. And to be honest, Premier League managers will be home. Well, you would imagine Premier League managers won't be upset if their players get knocked out early in the tournament, right? No, absolutely not. If, if suddenly, like, uh, if England were shockingly to get knocked out in the group stage, I don't think they've been. I don't think there'd be many upset Premier League managers other than those that don't have any players in the squad because they'd be looking to get those players back and have them working on low-intensity stuff for a couple of weeks and getting their house in order if they're struggling for results. Yeah, pretty much. Oh, well. As you say, not long now to the World Cup, only about a week and a half from this point. Um, Let's just hope all the players can uh, hold themselves together for a good tournament. Yep, fingers crossed. And first things first, to start off this episode, over to you, Tom, with the classified results for the game week. And here are the classified results for game week 15 of the Premier League 22-23 season. Leeds United 4, AFC Bournemouth 3. 2, Fulham 1. Nottingham Forest 2, Brentford 2. Wolverhampton Wanderers 2, Brighton Hove Albion 3. Everton 0. Leicester City, 2. Aston Villa, 3. 1. 
Southampton won. Newcastle United, four. West Ham United, one. Crystal Palace, two. And thank you very much for those results. Um, a lot of talking points amongst those results. Um, once again, um, Wolves actually getting two goals in the game, but not being able to hold off a very strong Brighton team after their yeah. win at Chelsea last weekend. And then Fulham, unfortunately, a last minute penalty to Man Outrageous City. Outrageous VAR once again. Is, uh, there, there's two things about this. Uh, firstly, I agree it is soft, but player making the offence needs to be a bit smarter in not going into De Bruyne like that because he did make no. contact, minimal, but he did make contact. And if you're making contact in the box against a player like De Bruyne who is clever enough, he will always be going down and you're forcing the referee to make a decision at that point. And yeah, pretty much. It's just, if he was a bit more head smart, it would have perhaps been, they would have been maybe walking away from the Etihad yeah. with the one point, but instead it was just a a bit disappointing, particularly when they were against 10 men for such a long period of time as well. Yeah, and playing particularly well. And I think it was just, you know, I, I've I've looked at it multiple times. When I first saw it, I just think, where the hell is the contact? De Bruyne is just diving, but then sort of looking at it from multiple angles, seeing the contact and then De Bruyne going down. It's like, I mean, I'd be annoyed if it was given against me, but by the letter of the law, there is contact. Exactly. It's the sort where if it goes against you, you're outraged. But if you yeah. do get it, you feel a bit cheeky and smug and you're like, oh yeah, definitely a penalty. Sure, mate. Yeah. Um, but then I think it was the, the, the Forest Brentford game where effectively I think it was a similar sort of situation, but the penalty wasn't given, if I'm correct. Yes. Yeah. You're yeah. right in that. It's just yeah. that consistency, but we've exactly. mentioned this so many times on the pod before it's, that I think I'm just sort of bored about talking about it. a broken record, isn't it? Yeah. Speaking of uh, good performances, though, Leicester getting a 2-0 at Goodison, that's well, that's uh, another positive result for Brendan Rodgers' men and another step up the table, isn't it? Three clean sheets in four now and um, unbeaten, I think. Also, oh, no, they did lose to um, City in previous game week. But um, yeah, that's uh, three wins out of four. And just looking very much like their their usual selves now. So mm-hmm. um, the worry of the uh, the stats corner that I did um, a couple of episodes ago is gradually starting to diminish. And Leicester of to be fair to them, they've given Brendan time, and it's sort of you'd like to think it's now paying off. Exactly. Well, one manager that hasn't been given any more time is <laughs> is Ralph Hasenhutl. So the news got announced this morning that. With Southampton on 12 points, having uh, cozied up to uh, position 18 in the bottom three, and with back-to-back losses against Crystal Palace and Newcastle, the Southampton board have decided to make a change. This morning, they have announced oh, that Rappin no, has been given the bootle, and thus ending his stint as Southampton manager. Ralph has been with the Saints for just shy of four years, having taken over from Mark Hughes in December 2018. In that time, he has managed them for 173 games with 59 wins, 41 draws and 73 losses, giving them a win percentage of 34%. On Sunday night, there were a lot of rumours with The Athletic saying that the board had already made the decision, but were giving Ralph until the World Cup to assume not create any uncertainty for the final game week. But then um, this morning, the Southampton board released a statement which goes as follows. Southampton Football Club can confirm it has parted company with men's first team manager, Ralph Hassenhutl. First team assistant coach Richard Kitzbichler has also left the club. Hassenhutl, who was appointed in December 2018, departs having made a significant contribution to the club overseeing some memorable results and also playing a key role in the development of our club's infrastructure, identity and playing squad. However, we now believe it is an appropriate time to make a change. Everyone involved with the club would like to express their sincere thanks to Ralph for all his efforts, as well as the unwavering commitment he has shown throughout his time as manager. First team lead coach Ruben Sellers will take charge of the side on an interim basis for our game on Wednesday night. The club will be announcing a permanent replacement in due course. 
Well, it's a much nicer statement than the one that Villa put out for Gerard. I was literally it? just about to say that. I mean, it's it's not like the two sentences that Villa put out basically saying we've sat Gerard and we're looking for a replacement. You know, yeah. that, that clearly shows that there was a lot of warmth and a lot of um, mutual sort of satisfaction between... Um, sort of friendliness between uh, Southampton and Hassan, you know, four years for, for or nearly four years for, for a manager is sort of unheard of nowadays. But um, yeah, there was a clear sort of well-worked relationship between the two parties and just unfortunate that it's had to come to a sort of mutual end. Absolutely. And to be honest, before his sacking, there probably wasn't many managers who had had longer stints at their current club than him. I think the only two that you can probably name in the Prem right now is probably um, obviously Pep and, and Klopp uh, for the big two big six uh, sides. Um, but other than that, in the other fourteen, I think Moyes is oh, one I'm, of the I'm, longest serving. Yeah. But he got he got appointed in um, December nineteen, so on the permanent basis. So yeah, he has those, been those sort for... of four years have gone actually sort of quite quickly. I, I, I still sort of see him as like a relatively new manager, but yeah, it's um, yeah four years. It's, it's quite a lengthy time now. Well, he did join them from Leipzig as part of a project to, uh, as with the Leipzig project, I guess, and put not as part of the Leipzig project, but in the image of yeah. to create a young, exciting team. Um, has he been successful in that in four years? Successful in the fact that with the limited resources that Southampton had under their current or um, current ownership with, um, I I can't remember the name of the guy, but I think it's a Chinese um, Chinese owner. Um, he did very well with the resources that he had to keep initially um, keep them up after a pretty dreadful season under, I think it was Mark Hughes and Pellegrino, um, who were joint managers at the time, uh, came in, really sort of stabilised the ship. And it just hasn't... And they've always been sort of a safe side in the last sort of couple of years. I mean, they did go on a pretty dreadful run. Um, I think at the end of, of last season, where they, I think they lost ten out of thirteen games or something like that. Um, obviously, the two nine nils do come to mind, but they've been relatively stable in in the Premier League, only having that first sort of sort of um, flirting with relegation when he first came in. But since then, it's been pretty pretty solid. Um, it just feels as though he's taken them as far as he possibly can um, and that it does feel as though there needs to be time for a change and sort of the reactions I've sort of looked at the um, when the statement got put out on Southampton's Twitter the sort of comments underneath it does seem the general sort of feeling from Southampton fans is that they are very happy with what Hassan Huttle has done and completely thanked him for his efforts over the last four years but does feel like it's, it's time for a change yeah, I think definitely it seems to have plateaued a bit and maybe it is the right time for change. Um, for me, Southampton have been a club that will always start the season relatively well and then drop off in the back end of the season. And we saw that yeah. last season and maybe the season before that. They kind of get into an, a safe-ish enough position and then by the back end the of the beach. season, kind of February onwards, and then they don't really do much. So seeing them now, obviously, flirting with relegation in the way that they currently are, um, it's obviously unfortunate that he's lost a job. But, you know, maybe... Well, the club, ultimately, it's the club's decision. They feel they've made the right decision. Personally, I don't think it's necessarily a bad choice in getting rid of him. No. My only thing would be, who are you going to be replacing him with? And to what extent the... Uh, to what extent the fan base is going to be happy with that. So yeah. looking at, obviously the manager won't be in, I doubt will even be in for before the World Cup, to be honest. No. Um, and I think that's probably the the club's timeline as they didn't plan on getting rid of Hassan Hootel until after next game week. But then the news came out that they were planning to get rid of him and they couldn't really not get rid of him at that point. So looking at um, the odds on who's favourite to get the job currently... It's Luton manager Nathan Jones. Yeah, having talks as a um, or being given permission, um, as uh, according to Sky Sports, um, permission to talk to Southampton. So Luton have obviously enabled him um, to have these discussions with the the management and the ownership at, at Southampton. It's bold appointing a manager that, firstly, doesn't have any Premier League experience, but 
you can't always have that. But also no experience of just top flight football in any division. So he's currently Luton manager who are currently in the championship here. Doing in very well with them. Bear, they are bear, doing bear very well. For a small club, In the, compared to other championship budgets, they are doing very well. But looking at his managerial career, he was before that at Stoke and then before that at Luton. So he's not really been elsewhere other than no, he's been a championship manager. He's been I, think, a... I think he's taken Luton up through the divisions as well. So obviously he does have a lot of experience of League One and championship football. And I'm hoping that's not Southampton appointing a manager that they think will be good when they're relegated, if they get relegated. I don't know if this appointment would excite a Southampton fan. Um, I don't know if if tomorrow, God forbid, touch wood, that David Moyes got sacked. If they turn around to me, if the club turn around and open negotiations with a manager that was managing in the Championship, I wouldn't feel a huge amount of confidence. No, no, I think it's sort of it's one of those that. Obviously, it's good. We do sort of talk about this quite a lot, sort of seeing young English or British managers sort of getting that that opportunity to manage in the big time. Um, which I'm all again, for. Which I'm all for. It means absolutely. I'm contradicting myself going, oh, I really want English managers to be given an opportunity and not just bring anybody from abroad yeah. because I think they've got a lot to prove. But it's at a time when your club is struggling and you really want someone who you know has experience at that level and can be a set of assured hands to navigate you through some troubled times. Promoting someone up from the championship into the Premier League when they've got no experience does, you know, it. Uh, yeah, it, it's one of those where I'm just, I'm, I'm not sure it would fully excite me as a Southampton fan. There are other others in that list that I think would be better suited for the Southampton job. But Well, you say that, but in terms of the managers that are linked... So looking at just the names that I recognise from like the most odds on favourites, well, not odds on favourites, but the managers I recognise from the list of favourites. So we've got Sean Dyche. That wouldn't excite me as a as a fan. Pochettino, I suppose he's... you. He was there. He had a good spell with them years Pochettino, ago now. I'm, I'm happy to eat my words, but Pochettino is not going back to Southampton. No, I don't think he is. But what I'm saying is in terms of what what would make Southampton fans more excited than... Oh, that would get me hugely excited if I was a Southampton yeah. fan. Uh, Paolo Fonseca, he's been linked to a couple of Premier League jobs in his time. Um, he's currently managing in Lille. Nuno, obviously without a job. Uh, and then <laughs> Stephen Gerrard and Rafa as well being linked. Um I don't know. I think it's a great appointment for Nathan Jones if he gets the job. It's absolutely brilliant for him. Um, big step up, but he does have suddenly a lot to prove with a premiership side. That's hard going to try and dig a team out of. Not that they're completely like in trouble because they've got enough points that in and around the group. I'm pretty sure if they were to win their next two games, for example, it'd suddenly put them yeah. in... yeah. They win their next two in theory, it could put them up to like eleventh, twelfth kind of place. So it's not that they're completely out of it at this point. But no, it's I mean yeah, it's tough sorry. going for him, isn't it? Yeah, I mean it will be tough going. And I Southampton are a weird side because I was watching the game against Newcastle um yesterday, this uh yesterday being Sunday, and it felt even though Newcastle did end up putting four past Southampton, it felt like it was a game where if Southampton were a little bit more clinical in their finishing, that could have been a really, really tight affair. Um, I saw Shay Adams had a, a really good uh, opportunity technically um, where he was sort of cutting across the ball and firing it past the far side of uh, Nick Pope's goal. Or on and the he, half volley, wasn't it? On the half volley. He yeah, technically a really was absolutely spot on. Yeah. But had that just been a couple of you know a couple of inches either side you know that that could have that could have gone in I think I can't remember who else uh, I think I've remembered another sort of clear-cut opportunity had they been a bit more composed in front of goal that could have been a you know we could be sort of speaking about a completely different situation right now hmm. um so it does feel as though Southampton they haven't been horrendous this year but they've just not been good enough to get the results on a consistent basis. I think the performances are there potentially. I think they just need to be a bit more clinical. Yeah. Well, looking at their uh, 
their next couple of games. So they've got League Cup um, at home to Sheffield Wednesday midweek. So Opportunity to, to get some form going. Yeah, but then away at Anfield on Saturday the 12th. Yeah, so their final game behind the World yeah. uh, before the World Cup. It's difficult. But then when they come back, so if Nathan Jones is appointed, he then does have a pretty good start in terms of teams they're playing. So Brighton on Boxing Day, tough team. Yep. But then Fulham, Forest, Everton, Villa, Brentford, Wolves. That's so a pretty that, good start. Yeah, so their first seven games, like leading up to mid-February, they've got a good chance of picking up some points there. That that in my mind is what the border may be looking at going after the World Cup. We get a manager in who's able to work hard with the squad for three weeks or so. Yep. Well, even more than that, it's going to be closer to uh, six weeks out, isn't it? Well, it's basically like a mini preseason. It's mm. well, it's like a preseason again, isn't it? Exactly. So that's probably that's a good opportunity for him. So they should be looking to get him in as soon as possible to try and start things going. Okay. Yeah. That after the World Cup run is really good. And then it gets very sour very quickly with <laughs> Chelsea, Man U, Tottenham, Man City and Arsenal and then following seven games all of a sudden. So well, you'd like to think they might have a little bit of form by that point. Exactly. Um, and they might be challenging. We don't know where yeah. all the teams will be at this point. Yeah. Um, but in terms of but in terms of him first getting his feet under the table and having a go at it, it's not a bad start for him in the grand scheme of things. The fixtures lined up. Yeah, but this is all retrospect considering that he's not even got the job yet. So exactly. anything could happen. So Oh true. But they might end up appointing Rafa Benitez and God knows what will happen there. The glasses come out to play. Oh God, no, please no. We've the Premier League has seen enough of him. Thank you very much. Oh. Well, in more positive news for the other fourteen, and while talking about new managerial appointments, Unai Emery got his first three points in charge of Aston Villa on Sunday afternoon with quite the remarkable a 3-1 win at home to Man United. I'm not sure we were expecting such instant success from Unai when we spoke about his appointment, were we, Tom? We mentioned that playing Man U this game week and then having Man U in the League Cup midweek were going to be really tough uh, tough prospects for him. But he's no. come in and made it look really easy very quickly. I mean, yeah, I was not... Ex- like, none of us, I think, were expecting Villa to be, what, Tune up inside the first 15 minutes. Um, oh, to be honest, nice way possible. I wasn't expecting them to win based on how many had kind of picked up a little bit of form. Yep. Um, but yeah, and how Villa had been playing because last game week they were particularly poor, weren't they? Um, when they lost 4 0 to Newcastle at St. James's no. Park. But I was, expecting, I was expecting maybe a little bit of a response um, from. Villa in general. So, you know, the players, the new management coming in and also the fans. I mean, there's a, a huge amount of excitement whenever a new manager sort of comes in and you expect, you're waiting to see what you can expect from from the side. That Villa Park was just bouncing. The whole end was just on its feet pretty much the entire game and Emery was just living and breathing the game because he was kicking every ball. He seemed far more in tune in his one game in charge at Villa Park than Steven Gerrard ever did. Um, when he was at Villa, it it just felt as though this was the manager that they were always expecting to get. With what they always say is, you know, the um, what the Villa squad should be all about, which is you know a really good group of guys who should be higher up the league than they are right now. And I think Emery can really tap into that. And it seems from the outset, especially with the three one win against United, you can't ask for a better start. And the atmosphere was just incredible. Absolutely. And it was such an instant quick start. They took Manu completely off guard. So with the um, the first goal from Leon Bailey, um, loads of space, ran through, brilliant ball through to him and a great finish. Then the Luca Dinia free kick. Well, there's no stopping that, was there? It was no. a quality I mean, hit. W- did you see the um, Emmy Martinez um, was trying to basically move ordering uh, Tyron Minks just basically just to shift left or right. There was a video going around on social media where he's just moving Tyron Minks sort of left or right just to block De Gea's vision. Um, oh, that's interesting. Just, yeah, and then obviously Dinius sort of curls it in and then just Martinez goes absolutely mad because he's, he's, you know he's sort of like helped out a little bit there. So yeah, oh, nice. that was, um, that was oh, that's good. That's awesome. Yeah, so quality free kick from him. Then it goes to 2-1 because Jacob Ramsey scores an own goal. 
but then in a very much an act of uh, villain turned hero, he then ends up scoring and making it a 3-1 to Villa, which is an extraordinary result. Um, quite impressive being on the score sheet at both ends for the lad. Yeah, yeah, really good. Great start for them. So um, then next week they've got uh, a game against Brighton, which oh, that's that will now be a really that's good, a good game. That's, that's going to be a really good game. You told me Brighton v Villa at the Amex four weeks ago. I would have said, oh, Brighton will be fine. But now it's uh, it's a little bit more exciting now, isn't it? Now that Villa might yeah. have a little bit of fire in their bellies. Yeah, you just hope, you know, like the, um, when was it, uh, who did Villa beat 4-0 the other week? Was it Brentford? Yes. Yeah, you just you just hope it's not a false dawn again. Mm. Um, but if if we're led to be believed that this is the sort of style of play and um, effort that this Villa side can put in under Emery, Villa against Brighton just has, you know, the ingredients which is being a super Premier League tie. Absolutely. So we'll, all eyes will be on that fixture. And it wasn't just Premier League fixtures that we were keeping an eye on this game week. We also had the first round proper of the FA Cup. So this was the introduction of League Two and League One teams into the tournament who got draws against the non-league qualifiers who had to go through many qualification stages to get this far in the tournament. And Tom, I believe you have a little uh, a little report for us on the FA Cup first round. Yeah, FA Cup first round, just a quick little report. Um, some shocks this weekend. We've got uh, Chippenham Town of the National League South who beat Lincoln City of League One by one goal to nil. Kings Lynn of the National League North beat Doncaster Rovers of League Two, one goal to nil. Farnborough of the National League South beat Sutton United, that famous Sutton United where the uh, the Pygate uh, came from a couple of years ago by two goals to nil. And the shock of the round, lowest ranked side Alchurch, who play in the seventh tier, Southern Premier Division Central beat League One opposition Cheltenham Town, who between the two sides have a huge 96 places between them. That game finished 2-1 to Alf Church and the shock of the round. So they go into the hat for round two. Also a note, uh, Weymouth of the National League South, uh, a one-all draw against League Two opposition AFC Wimbledon. So they'll go to a replay to see out of who of those sides will go into round two. That is an absolutely staggering result for Alva Church. Just looking at who they normally would be playing on a weekend. For the likes of St Ives, Rochelle Olympic... Hitchin Town, Nuneaton, Ilkston. Um, what an incredible result for them against a fairly well-established League One side as well. Yeah, absolutely. Huge, huge, huge result. And it's, you know, pretty much the magic of the cup. When when we get into the proper rounds, we're starting to look for these sort of results and it hasn't disappointed. The windfall that this will give the likes of Alva Church, who, like I said, seventh tier of, of, of English football, and the sort of promotion that it gives them and the spotlight that it puts on them for the, their progression into sort of the later stages of, of the FA Cup is huge. And we just hope that going into the second round, they get a similar sort of tie where they're up against one of the bigger boys. So, yeah, absolutely fantastic for them. Absolutely. And to put their result in perspective, this is the equivalent of, you said 96 places between the two, isn't it? Yeah. This is the equivalent of, let's say, one of the teams at the top of the Premier League. Let's say Newcastle. They're currently the highest flyers out of the other 14. This yep. is like Newcastle getting a draw against, say, who's who's near the top of uh, the National Conference, National uh, League. Let's say Wrexham, fairly popular team at the moment, given yep. the documentary. This is like Wrexham drawing Newcastle at St. James's Park and then Wrexham winning. Like that's Outrageous. the scale that we're looking at. So it's an absolutely incredible result from Alva Church. And as you say, this sort of cup run financially secures a club like that for so many years. If they get a decent big team in the next round, which they're going to, because now they've got the introduction of some yep. of the championship sides, that's going to be absolutely massive if they go and get a draw against the likes of Blackburn or someone similar, but or Burnley. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you pretty much guarantee that if they do draw one of those sides, they've just, as you've just mentioned, that game is probably going to be on TV as well. Uh, yeah, so they get the TV money as well, which for those not in the UK, so the way the FA Cup works is that regardless of where the game is drawn, and um, whether it's at Alva Church or whether it's at 
St. James's Park, for example, the um, ticket receipts are split completely down the middle. So if Alverchurch were to go to a, bear in mind their capacity looking here is 3,000 with 250 seated. So their average attendance would not be particularly big. If they were to then go and get a draw at the likes of Ewood Park, say Blackburn sell 10,000 tickets, that's such then a huge amount of money for them, isn't it, for Alverchurch to be... That'll be lining their coffers for such a long time, which will either go into push the club forward and they might be able to climb up a couple of divisions of non-league football, or... To be honest, for a small club like that, it might be they might be able to build a new stand or it just guarantees their future for a couple more seasons. Yeah, absolutely. So It is huge for these smaller clubs. Exactly. It's so significant. And that's why getting into the proper rounds of the FA Cup is such a big achievement, particularly for a team in, do you say, the seventh tier? Yeah, the, the Southern Premier Division Central is the seventh tier of English oh. football. Well, I know that going forward, I will definitely be keeping an eye on Alva Church. So when... When would I be able to find who they're playing out next, Tom? So obviously this is being recorded on a Monday and goes out on a Thursday. So the draw will be done by then. But the draw is Monday night, 7 o'clock, BBC Two. Find out then. Nice. So I will definitely be keeping an eye on them and all other non-league teams, to be honest. Unless we progress through the rounds, I'll be keeping an eye on all the underdogs. As uh, We do love an upset here on the other 14 podcast. We love it. Absolutely. Speaking of keeping an eye on competitions which aren't the Premier League, um, we'll be doing something a little different instead of Stats Corner this week, as I'll be taking a look at how the other 14 are doing on the continent. At appropriate times throughout the season, we'll be looking at how the other 14 clubs are performing in European competitions. This season, however, we are a little short of representation, and only David Moyes' West Ham United have been playing in the Europa Conference League. After West Ham's Europa League semi-final finish last season, West Ham fans had every reason to be positive going into the third tier of UEFA competitions, which they got via their seventh place finish in the Premier League last year. West Ham made easy work of getting into the group stages of the Conference League after winning their two-legged qualification round matchup against Viborg of Denmark with a comfortable aggregate win of 6-1 across the two legs. This then set them up for a group stage against Anderlecht of Belgium, FCSB of Romania and Silkborg of Denmark. West Ham proceeded to make fairly light work of the group by winning all six group games, being the first team to ever do so in the competition. The the competition has been running for two years. Look, Tom, every now and then you need a team to prove that they're significantly better than the others. They need to be groundbreaking. And West Ham have had a groundbreaking start. So you're influenced then, but but very, very modern, very, very 2022. No one has achieved this so far. So, you know, I think we just need to recognise quality performances, even if it is against some questionable teams. Looking at the group, though, Andalect, team that you have often seen, perhaps, in the Champions League and Europa League. FCSB, which is actually Stal Bucharest, but under a different name. Ah, oh, right, yeah. And then Silkborg of Denmark. So another trip to uh, Denmark for David Moyes' men after their qualification roundup. So six wins, which has been really good for them. So the group stage has been a good break for West Ham, away from Premier League life, which they have been struggling with so far this season. The good news for David Moyes is that by finishing top of their group, they will be able to avoid... The next playoff round, which sees the third place finishers from the Europa League play the second place finishers from the Conference League groups, who will battle it out for a place in the final 16 of the Conference League competition. Other teams of note that have won their group and have secured their place in the last 16 already are Nice, Villarreal and Istanbul Besiktas. The knockout round um, has had some big-ish teams fall down from the Europa League, which includes... Lazio, Braga and Travonspor, who will then be facing the runners-up of the Conference League groups. And I suppose names from that group who we might recognise are the likes of Fiorentina, Basel, Lech Poznan and Ghent, all who are quite familiar to European football. I guess the big thing is, Tom, from this, with West Ham's current Premier League form and their start to the season, this tournament surely has to be their gateway into European football next season. Yeah, you pretty much um, can can say that. I, 
like you said, West Ham not started particularly well this year. And I think European football and the introduction of a lot of new first teamers coming into the side has had a lot to do with it. Um, but with the likes of Newcastle, Brighton, Fulham, etc., starting off really, really well in the league this year and sort of up there, um, specifically Newcastle being one of the disruptors of the traditional big six, as, as it were, and pretty much, I think at this point, we can say very much likely that they'll be playing European football next year. The likelihood of West Ham getting in via the league, the possibility that starts to diminish. So with where they are in the third tier of European football, the likes of... Um, the likelihood of other teams that they might come up against on their route to potentially going towards a final. It it does look promising for them if they can start to get some form going and on a more consistent basis that they do get closer to the final. I mean, they made semi-finals last year of the Europa League. Who's not to say that they can do it in the in the Conference League this year? I think, yeah, pretty much their, their main possibility and their main chance of getting European football next year will be via winning that competition. And it's something that West Ham fans and the owners would want to do because they've had that taste now of European football over the last couple of years. It is something that I think is a huge priority. I think, well, oh, I don't know. Reese, is it a huge priority to get Europe next year or are you looking more for higher up the Premier League? I suppose looking at it, realistically, the chances of West Ham, particularly at this point, breaking into the top four or winning the league are slim. So, I think a lot of clubs who aren't in the big six do need to look at European football as being their main way of getting into tournaments like the Champions League. Realistically, West Ham weren't actually that far away last season from getting into the Champions League via winning the Europa League. They got through to the semi-final. wasn't their greatest performance. They got a man sent off at home against Frankfurt, who then eventually went on to win the tournament. And I suppose that's what fans really want is as much as going, oh, we finished fifth in the Premier League, we finished fourth in the Premier League is all good. Realistically, people and fans want the Champions League theme under floodlights on a Tuesday and Wednesday. And I think West Ham having that bit of taste for it so far with the Europa League, obviously it's a step down, just looking at the calibre of competition to the Conference League. But it's a it's a chance to win a trophy. Yeah, you don't get many chances in the season. It's European football. It's a chance to win a trophy because realistically, once again, it's tough for teams outside the big six to win the FA Cup, to win the League Cup. You need to have good runs. So I think if West Ham if I think if West Ham fans were able to click their fingers now and say, we're not going to get relegated, but we will win the conference league. I think most would take it in a heartbeat because it's a trophy which West Ham fans haven't seen in 30 years. Well, not a major trophy anyway. Yeah. So I think it's a bit of a a bit of an easy one to be honest to say. Yeah, let's let's stay in the Premier League, but let's win a European trophy. And because that's that's the sort of memories that are created. Because you get look back at West Ham's previous seasons. Um, not last season where they got through to the semi-final, but the season before they finished sixth in the Premier League. You go, oh, West Ham finished sixth in the Premier League. But then if you compare that to the European nights, such as a home to Lyon, home to um, Sevilla, they were incredible nights as a fan. And I think winning a trophy would only add on to that experience. Yeah, absolutely. I very much intended to um, agree with you there. Um those sort of nights, European nights, is something that you live for as a fan and just those sort of cup, those magical cup runs is just every sort of part and parcel of being a, a football fan. You know, like you said, finishing sixth in the Premier League has no glamour to it. It's winning those European competitions and big European nights where you get famous wins. That's what it's all about. So Absolutely. yeah, I, I think I think you're spot on there. As much as I love to cheer a goal West Ham go and score against Aston Villa and Villa Park. Brilliant. It, we may win the game. There's three points. But I think I think my wife was concerned for my health last season when West Ham away at Leon, Craig Dawson scored a goal to put us into the lead. I made such noises that she walked into the room and asked if I was okay because I don't think I sounded okay. I don't think mentally I was okay. But it was a certain state of euphoria that I don't think Premier League football really gives, unless you'll have a fortunate season like Leicester, where you do go and win the league. Yeah. 
And West Ham will be finding out their fate in the Conference League for their last 16 draw early next year after the playoffs have taken place. So, Tom, I'll be keeping you and our listeners informed when that takes place. I look forward to it. Like the sound of a glass crashing to the ground in a pub, it does not fail to bring a smile to my face. It's Goal of the Week. Goal of the Week. Right, welcome to another edition of Goals of the Week. Now, normally with Goals of the Week, I usually try and give each contender and their strike its individual airtime, giving the goals the merit they deserve. And don't get me wrong, there were some great goals scored in this game week. You know, you've got to look at Dean with his free kick against United, Vissa's cheeky lob against Forrest, Greenwood's strike against Bournemouth in that thriller, to name a few. But ultimately, they all crumble in comparison to the outrageousness that was Yuri Tielemann's wonder strike against Everton. So I'm cutting straight to the chase this week as I think it would be a travesty if I awarded the goal of the week to anyone else. What a goal, race! It was quite incredible, wasn't it? Um, like, you're right. There are, there are a number of viable candidates, but none that come even close to how good Tielemann's goal was. Um, as we do, we both watch the game separately. We watch the highlights separately. And as soon as I saw Tiedemans' goal going, I went, that's going to be Tom's goal of the week. Uh, just without a doubt. Normally, you have a bit of a... It's a bit close, a bit of a contest. Like in previous weeks, you can name two or three, and it's a bit tight. And There's a few tiebreaks that have got to be included and things like that. Yeah, so, is it part yeah. of a win? Like, how good was it? What did it mean to the game? It doesn't matter with this goal. It was... A goal that put them one nil ahead, and it was just such a good strike against supposedly England's number one keeper. Supposedly. Um, supposedly. But what a performance uh, from Leicester in that game. But what a goal at Goodison as well, a ground which this season has Everton have done quite a reasonable job of keeping out goals. But there was Pickford had no chance of stopping this, did he? No, absolutely not. And it's certainly one of the front runners. I'd, you know. That's got to be one of the front runners early early doors for for goal of the season. If there's a better goal scored than that for this season, I cannot wait to see what it is and who it's going to be scored by. Probably probably Miguel Almiron. Well, but... speaking, speaking of which, Yuri Tillemans did score an incredible goal against Wolves just two weeks ago, and yeah. I think I think he might have won goal of the week then. So he probably did, yeah. So yeah, I think he's contending with himself. He's, he's just got a locker full of them, just banging goals. I mean, he, that's just what he does. He's vintage Yuri Tielemans. And it's it's weird to say vintage about a player like Yuri Tielemans, but he's been in the league now for an, a number of years. And he just puts in time and time again, just sort of like highlight packages where you see goals like that. Yeah. Um, it's uh, it makes me of, think of the FA Cup goal. Obviously, yeah, absolutely. It's a different style, but an out, when he arrives on it, on the edge of the box, yeah. it's you you just wait for the net to bulge. Yeah, it's it just that that, sort of, that first touch just to get the ball sort of up above the ground and then just the, the strike of the right foot. It sort of reminded me um, of, I don't know if you remember, Raul Morelos scored a, a goal like that against Wolves for Liverpool back, I think it was like 2011, um, just before we sold Torres. It sort of reminded me like that, again, outside the area, just sort of control up and then just a, a looping sort of thunder volley um, into the far corner. And then also, if you remember Matt Loughton's goal against uh, for Villa against Stoke. Oh yes, oh, um, that's a reminded goal. me like that. Yeah, um, absolutely. I think Loughton's is slightly better, um, just because it's from a, one from a play you just don't expect it to. Do. I, I think, think it was from slightly further out. Yeah, I think the case is a play you don't expect. Well, the nod down because it was Madison with the assist, wasn't it? He yeah. assisted both in that game. One to get a player that's on form. He's another two assists. He's, he's got to go, surely. You would imagine he's going to Qatar, wouldn't you? Yeah. But yeah, incredible goal, incredible result. And to be honest, it was never in doubt, was it, this week with uh, Tillemans getting goal of the week? It, there was just no... The, yeah, I'm not beating around the bush. It just Tillemans was goal of the week. I knew as soon as he went in, that that's goal of the week. Well, because that was on the Saturday, so you were really hoping for some sort of magic on the Sunday, but... I suppose Dinia's free kick is a good free kick. Uh, beat it's beat not the hair all ends up. Ben Rama's goal from the outside the box was a decent strike. Sorry. Yeah, there was a good number of goal of the week contenders from this game week. Um, also, look at the likes of uh, Solanke against Leeds, Billing against Leeds. Um, 
Greenwood. Um, Bruno, yeah, Greenwoods, Bruno against Southampton. Um, but they yeah, they just all crumble in comparison. Oh well. Yuri Tillemans, I'm sure this won't be the last time this season that we say this, but congratulations on your goal of the week. And now it is time for our listener question. And this question has come in from Sam from Bolton. With the World Cup starting in just a few weeks' time, who are the other 14 stars you're looking forward to seeing perform in Qatar? Well, Tom, um, we don't know who's actually going yet because the squads are due to be announced over, I believe, the next couple of days, or if not, the yep. next week. Um, So I know I've got a couple of players that I'll put forward and say who I'd like to see, but I think this is probably a good time for us to plug that over the World Cup break, we won't have Premier League football, so we won't be able to focus on the other results of the other 14 and their ongoings. But instead, we will be releasing a series of bonus episodes, slightly shorter than regular episodes, where we will be tackling the big other 14 related World Cup conversations. And as part of this, we will be doing a bit of more of an in-depth look into the other 14 stars who will be playing out in Qatar. Um but Tom, for the purposes of this episode, um, who do you well? Who are you looking to see go to Qatar, and who do you think will be performing well when they go out there? Well, I mean, you you've got to be looking at you know who are the players from the other fourteen from this current campaign who have sort of lit up the league so far. Number one that sort of comes to mind is Ivan Tony. Mm-hmm. Um, whether or not Gareth will will pick him is one thing. Also, there's a lot of um, recent news that has come out about Ivan Tony in regards to a FA investigation into him regarding gambling. Brentford at the moment haven't released too much um, with that because obviously an ongoing investigation. So it's it's whether or not there's a little bit of baggage sort of coming his way um, on the eve of a World Cup, but we'd like to think that he does go. Well, I suppose um, he's in a position now that both well, I think if we went back three, four weeks ago, well, to the last international break, Ivan Tony was was the shoe-in substitute or replacement for Harry Kane. But now that Calvert-Lewin's back and hit a bit of form, and so is Callum Wilson, although he did go off at the weekend. We would, I think we were told that the Callum Wilson thing was due to a... He wasn't feeling quite well. It wasn't necessarily a physical injury, but it was just the fact he wasn't feeling well. So... You fingers crossed, fingers crossed for him that it was only very something very minor. But yeah, Tony definitely has challenges for that. And I, I think the issue with an England striker is that England will only ever take off Harry Kane if he's injured or if the game is completely put to bed. But even then, he'll be wanting yep. to push for goals. So the chances of another striker playing, because I don't think they'll ever go two main strikers up top. So no. Yeah, um, kind of bench warming. Like, if you're Wilson, Tony, or Calvert Lewin, it's great because you'd be going to the World Cup, but ultimately, you're probably doing a lot of bench warming. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the only thing that does sort of go in Ivan Tony's favour is his uh, penalty record. And if England do probably inevitably get to a situation where they are going to go through a penalty shootout, Ivan Tony is one of the, the players right now who I think you definitely have as one of your key penalty takers. But looking at other players, um, I suppose it's easy to talk from an England perspective. It is. uh, Because there's a lot more of them in the other 14. But once again, Declan Rice on an international level, just showing what he can do. He was phenomenal in the Euros a couple of seasons ago. He's been one of the few bright sparks in the West Ham team so far this season. He always looks so calm and composed, even in an England shirt, that I'll be looking forward to seeing him play. Out of the other teams, though, I'm not really sure... For Brazil, you've got likes of Bruno going from Newcastle, so it'll be good to maybe see him. Fabian Scher will also be in that group for Switzerland. And speaking of Tony, um, his teammate Mbwemo, I think for Cameroon, if he goes, he's got a good chance. They're, They're Group G, Brazil, Serbia, Switzerland and Cameroon, I think. Although most people would put Brazil as favourites in that group, any of the other three have a good chance, and there's some pre- and there's some Premier League representation in a couple of them. Uh, yep, yeah, we've also got the likes of uh, Mitrovic of Fulham again. You know, fantastic striker, and has been sort of taken the league by storm this year. Um, he's obviously going with Serbia. Um, also, looking there's quite a few Argentinian contingents uh, from the Premier League. The likes yeah. of Emi Martinez, who's probably going to start in goal for Argentina. And he's just, you know, quite quite a stall in in between the sticks uh, for Villa right now and has done 
a pretty good job over the last couple of years for them. Yeah, the thing with Argentina is it's hard to get a pick. Like I'd say one of the best Argentinians in the league so far this season has been McAllister. Yeah, but a little bit he... of drop off of form recently. Well, earlier on this season, McAllister was you know it looked almost like a shoe in. Um, yeah, but I don't. There's a lot of it might be hard to break into that Argentina side for him. Yeah, when because uh, he played really well in that game against uh, Leicester where they won five two, didn't he? So yeah. Yeah, for now, I think a lot of our focus will be on England over the World Cup period as well, since we're both English fans. But we'll definitely be keeping a track of the other 14. And so uh, it'll be released on the regular podcast feed as well, our bonus World Cup podcasts. Yeah. Um, so still over the World Cup period, do also send in your questions to us on the show. You'll also be quite a, a reporter on the ground at the World Cup, won't you, Reese? Uh, yes, I guess I will. So I am very much in the fortunate position where I will be going to all three of England's group games. So I will be able to provide direct feedback on the players from the other 14 in the England squad. At the moment, it's looking like not going to be many. Maybe, well, the goalkeeper will definitely be from the other 14. And then it exposed just, I guess, Declan Rice mostly, maybe a couple of defenders, but yeah, depends if so, they get yeah. preference. Gareth clearly hasn't listened to our podcast whereby, you know, earlier on this season we did um, the other 14, um, 11 for the England uh, team. So, yeah. Well, you, you say that. You don't know because he hasn't announced his squad yet. All our picks might be in the World Cup squad. You never know. But no, thank you very much for that question, Sam. And as always, if you have any questions that you want us to answer on this podcast or throughout the World Cup, please do get in contact. You can find us on Twitter at other 14 podcast or alternatively email us on the other 14 pod at gmail.com now i've i've been told we have to go on to this section for continuity reasons so it's the fab four let's just get through it quickly we're running out of time here tom so we can't spend too much time on this part um um, um no, I'm, I'm, yeah, let's yeah, go through nice on. and quick so no i'm joking so be a sport our Fab Four predictions, the games we picked for the game week just gone, we had Leeds versus Bournemouth, Forest, Brentford, Southampton, Newcastle, and West Ham v Palace. Well, you got three results correct. So uh, you were a, you correctly predicted that Leeds would win, that Forest, Brentford would be a draw, and that Newcastle would win. On none of those accounts did you get the correct score though so that was three points for you and then out of all the games I only correctly predicted that Newcastle were going to win but not by the correct scoreline um I well I was correct in thinking that Bournemouth would score three goals against Leeds I just had Leeds scoring three less than they did and I thought and I thought Brentford would perhaps steal a goal a 1-0 win at the city ground which did not happen I blame Ivan Tony for that. And neither of us saw Patrick Vieira's men getting all three points at the London Stadium. No. So, Tom, how do you feel bringing it to just one point between us um, with one game week to go before the World Cup? You on 20 points and me on 21. Yeah, very happy race. Getting that down to one point now was, was key. And if I can sort of get a, a decent sort of game week for... The, the final week before the World Cup, I think I'm, I'm I, I stand in good stead uh, for the remainder of the season. So, yeah, happy to have closed the gap. Yeah, I, we do the predictions and then I forget completely about what games we predicted. So do uh, I. And then when the results come in, I then have to open up our shared Google document to find out who's predicted what. And I was very disappointed to see um, that you got the uh, got the direction of the results on on the Saturday for Leeds and the Forest game. But I think the well, thing is... I don't is put to, an on, I don't know. You, um, well, because you're not that good. Um, you still do. <laughs> you still didn't get Palace getting a result. I, I suppose the thing is, you've gone through a real hot run of form, but you're still losing. It's, um, it's like it's it's like getting draws as opposed to getting wins. You know, you, you sort of it's a consistency in just not losing. True, but you've been jabbing away, but you haven't been able to nail a knockout yeah. punch, have you? Really? Like you've, you've closed still the gap. Plenty of times to go. There's plenty of time, plenty of games to go, but 
I am still in the lead. Before we go on to predict for the final game week, Tom, can you tell us what games we have to look forward to on game week 16 of the Premier League? Right. For one last time before we stop for Qatar, here are your upcoming fixtures for game week 16. Brentford have never scored in this fixture, but they'll be looking to change that as they head to the Etihad to face City. Recent honours go to Bournemouth as Gary O'Neill's men look for a spark against Franks Everton at the Vitality. Managerless, at time of recording, Southampton go to Anfield in search of that illustrious bounce. The last time Forest and Palace faced off in the top flight was 1995, and back for good by take that was number one. Forest fans will be hoping that is the case for their Prem ambitions as they look to win this one at the city ground. Jesse's American Revolution looks to gain momentum at the home of the NFL in London as Leeds face Tottenham. With their win over Everton, Leicester leapfrogged West Ham last week. David Moyes will be hoping his side can switch places again as they face off at the London Stadium. A test for the changing of the guard in the traditional big six as Eddie's Newcastle look to continue their good form as they take on winless in four Chelsea. A manager finally confirmed for Wolves just in time to face league leaders Arsenal at Molyneux in the 7.45 kickoff on Saturday. The Sunday fixtures see Deserbe against Emery, which has the ingredients for a game of pure football as Villa travelled down to the south coast to take on Brighton at the Amex. And rounding off the game week before we get into World Cup fever, Fulham play host to United in a fixture they haven't won since 2009. Marco and his men will be looking to end that poor run, a half-four kickoff for this one. So, with the other 14 evenly spread out to take on the big six this game week, we have, well, six opportunities to take some scalps. Probably the best chance we have out of all of them is with Newcastle at home to Chelsea, a Chelsea that aren't really on form. So, I'll be looking forward to that. And also, well, an inconsistent Man U going to uh, Craven Cottage. Um, There's been upsets there before in the Premier League, so I'm looking forward to that one. Also realise it's the Harry Potter derby in Newcastle, Chelsea, as John Joe Shelby goes on to take Graham Potter. Oh my God. Potter, the boy who lived, come to die. <laughs> oh, I didn't oh. even think about that. Well, looking at the games we have to predict, so there are only four games that are exclusively other 14 fixtures. So we have Bournemouth v Everton, West Ham Leicester, Forest Palace and Brighton v Villa. This is a tough one, Bournemouth Everton, because Bournemouth of recent love to throw away a result. Everton of recent don't like scoring. They did look good though at the week, even though you know it was a it was a good Leicester performance. Everton had some decent chances. Awobi looked good. Um, Calvert Lewin again is is getting close back to his best, and I think Everton have been a bit of a poor run of, of late and I think they, they might be able to turn that around whereas Bournemouth have been on a ridiculously poor run and just are leaking goals left right and centre right now I think there's nine in their last three that have uh, conceded which is really interesting considering we we were saying not that long ago oh well why why have they not appointed Gary O'Neill it, what, it might be the reason why <laughs> well exactly and then he's then he's just gone downhill very quickly for them yeah not, been not one in grab- over a month now so Oh, that new manager bounce didn't really last as long as they would have liked. No. So I am looking for this one uh, to be... I'm going to go Bournemouth 1, Everton 2. Bournemouth 1, Everton 2. So, to be honest, Bournemouth are quite good in this fixture. They've won three of the last five... And oh, and only lost one of them. So I see, I see there being goals in this game. I actually see both teams scoring, but I think they could be that slight turnaround in form for. Well, I'm hoping they'll be that slight turnaround in form for Bournemouth. So I'm going to say a two-one win for Bournemouth. Okay. Oh, and then West Ham Leicester. So well, not long ago, these teams were. These two teams were the ones challenging the big six for those European places, weren't they? And uh, a lot has changed with pretty much Brighton, Fulham and Newcastle taking on that mantle for this season. So two teams that aren't at their peak at the moment. Um, How do you think it will go down at the London Stadium? Yeah, Leicester a little bit on the rise. West Ham just sort of struggling to get anything sort of really going. They they do pick uh, wins up here and there, but 
just consistency for form is is really avoiding um, this West Ham side right now. Leicester have been good defensively over the last uh, last couple of weeks. I think it's going to be a really close game. I'm I'm just I I do think both teams will score, but I think just home home advantage will give West Ham that slight buzz or that slight edge. Uh, the fact that they don't have to play European football this this week. There is a, a Carabao Cup fixture coming on, but I think you know boys can afford uh, afford to put out a, a slightly weakened side. So I, I think West Ham will sort of change their fortunes this week and and get probably a much needed three points. Um, and I'm going to go for a West Ham two Leicester one. West Ham have a reasonably good record against Leicester. Over, um... Like last season, Leicester came to the London Stadium and lost, and then West Ham have had a good results at the King Power. Oh, but West Ham just don't seem to be creative at all. They, I think, this game week, um, just gone, were the team in the Premier League that maybe created fewest opportunities in um in the game the against Crystal Palace. So wow. Yeah, considering there were some uh, light hammerings in there as well, for them to be so poor against a decent Palace side have had a good run of form, but not by no means uh, elite opposition. So I think it might be another disappointing uh, result for West Ham with Leicester winning 2-0 and then gives Moyes a lot to rue on over the uh, World Cup break. Interesting, interesting. And then um, Forest v Palace. You said uh, last time, uh, last time this game took place. Take that were uh, were charting. That's they a... were they were number one, nineteen ninety five. Wow, that's quite incredible. Oh, wow, wow, twenty seven years ago now. That's yeah, no, that absolutely was a... bonkers. That was Crystal Palace one, Forest two. Oh, the last time they played at the City Ground. Uh, it was it was Forest one, Crystal Palace nil. Oh, the the Forest like to score in this fixture, but Forest have liked to score in of recent in their fixtures, but at most they've only been able to drag out draws, haven't they? So yeah, I'm going. Uh, I think. Oh, I don't know. In my mind, I'm like, oh well, Forest might scrape another win, but they just don't seem to be able to do it, do they? And Palace are a decent side. I'm gonna say a. 3-1 Palace win. Um oh, yeah, nice. that that is exactly what I was <laughs> I was going to predict. Um yeah, I I'm thinking on exactly the same wavelength. I think Forest will score, but they just concede Palace I think will just continue going from strength to strength and it is it, probably a good time to be playing a, a side like Forest right now who just don't seem to be going anywhere. Um obviously they had that winning against Liverpool, um, but then immediately just lost 5-0 to Arsenal and a a, a scrappy two-all draw against Brentford. Um, I I can only see it going one way. And, you know, I, I, I was predicting a, a Palace 3, uh, Forest 1 results. Um, but obviously, that's now been taken. I'm going to go one step further. I'm going to say Palace 4, Oh, Forest 1. Wow. So still Forest scoring, don't you think Palace are going to really kick on? I think as a Elise, Edward will be back probably. And then Zaha, I think that would just rip Forest apart. They were very good at the weekend. Admittedly, yeah. West Ham gave them opportunities, but I that, think Forest will give them opportunities. Of, I really admire at the moment Crystal Palace's forward dynamic, the way they have the players kind of interchanging all the positions. Yeah. Um, they're high energy, creative. So even that because you name you go, oh, Elise, Zaha, Edward, Eze. But then you've got the likes of Schlapp and Ayu who get involved as well going forward. It's is very good. It just seems a really organised team. Um, and just just note for the podcast, I I was hoping to go for a, a three one uh, result, but obviously that's now been taken. So don't 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 have a go of me if it obviously isn't going to oh, be four one. So, so so Tom, if it is four one, uh, are you going to say no? You don't want the points because you thought you wanted. 3-1? No, I will obviously accept the points. Oh, I'll, okay, you know... sure, sure thing. Yeah. Oh, and anyway, we then have Brighton versus Aston Villa. Oh, I don't oh. know. I'm just trying to think. Trivia off the top of my head. A player that has played for both sides. I can't think of any. No, not nothing immediately comes to mind. Oh, if you're listening, 
just tweet us if you can think of any player that's played for Brighton and Villa. Google doesn't count, but I'm sure there's an obvious one that we there's should probably, Exactly. Of. There's probably an eight. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Has Glenn Murray been there? He's been everywhere. Um, anyway, Brighton v Villa. I, it'll be a good game. Emery's playing good football. Brighton got their uh, Brighton got their first win the other week and then backed it up with a second. So that's two on the bounce now for them. Or I'm going to go for a two-all result. You bastards. You can't. You, sorry. You went first on the first two. I'm going first on the second two. You can't I know. Name. I know. I, 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 I am just moaning because, you know, back-to-back games now where you just... Oh, poor Tom. All right. Um, all right. I, I, I still think it will be a draw. But okay. I'm going to go... I'll just go for Brian 1, Villa 1. Okay. One so I think it would just be... It would be a game of pure football, but... I, I might have just been overregging the um the amount of goals that will be scored. So yeah, I think well, two, we two good keepers, two, two... Sanchez and um, Sanchez and Martinez going head to head. So yeah, I th- I think one all. That's true. We have predicted for there to be a lot of goals this game week. Yeah, you predicted for there to be thirteen goals. What and I, I, it's, and, it's I've pred- and, I, and I've yeah. predicted for there to be thirteen goals. So well done. <laughs> Last minute opportunity for for players to to put their name in for some World Cup squads. Maybe I don't know. Well, I think the squads are announced before then, aren't they? They, they probably are announced by then, but yeah, I'm just thinking well, this is what you could have had. Oh, exactly. Yeah, good point. Absolutely. Yep. Oh, well, with us having finished those, that brings us to the end of this episode of The Other 14 Podcast. So thank you for downloading and listening to this week's episode of The Pod with Tom and myself. Please subscribe to us and give us a rating on your podcast platform of choice. Also, do recommend us to your friends, family and other 14 fans, as we are now available on all good podcast platforms. So, it is goodbye from me. And it's a goodbye from me. And we'll see you next week on the Other 14 podcast.